Hey everyone, welcome in to another daily editorial here on the KE Report. I'm going to be recapping recent inflation data as well as focusing a bit on how the markets have adjusted inflation expectations, market expectations for rates, and what currencies are doing all looking ahead to next week in a couple, uh, I guess, key meetings and data points to come out of Canada and the U.S. I am chatting with Mark Chandler, managing partner at Bannockburn Global Forex, also editor of the Mark to Market website. Mark, let's start off with yesterday's inflation data. The PCE data was right in line with expectations, continuing to show that inflation is trickling lower. It's not moving in a straight line lower, but it is at least moderating and getting closer to that 2% target level. Mark, your takeaway from the inflation data and more the trends that we continue to see in the data. Sure. So I, I think that the, you know, uh, I'd say that this is the difference partly between the retail and the institutional uh, market participants in the capital markets. A lot of the retail, you see this in some of the popular presses, a lot of people focusing on uh, the PCE deflator that was out yesterday. However, institutional participants know that the data, the PCE deflator, had been anticipated, uh, and the market, the economists get very close to it once they know the CPI and PPI. And so because those come out earlier, I'd say for institutional investors, the PCE deflator, which, as you say, slowed a bit from a 2.6% down to 2.4% on a year-over-year basis, and the core rate slowed from 2.9 to 2.8. This is this is uh, exactly what the market expected, and that really means that when we want to look at the sort of the signal for U.S. inflation, it really comes from the CPI number. Perhaps the most surprising thing, though, about that, that data yesterday was the jump in personal income. The market was looking for about a 0.4% increase. Instead, we got a 1% increase. And partly what's happening there is that, you know, we usually think about income as being driven by wages and salaries. Often it is. But this time, dividends counted for about a third of the increase in personal income. And secondly, we get a, the U.S. is a cost of living adjustment to Social Security, and that was worth about 20%. So between those two factors, uh, the uh, Social Security and the dividends, that accounted for about half of the increase in personal income, which theoretically should fuel consumption down the road. Mark, let's carry this over then to what the market is telling us about interest rates and how it is a more aligning, I guess, with what the Fed has been saying. Look, the 10 year for the last about three weeks, it's been holding above 4%, above 4.2% trading sideways. Now, this is broadly higher than it was through all of December and all of January. What are you seeing in terms of what the market is now telling us about where rates are going aligned more with what the Fed has been telling? Yeah, so remember at the end of last year, the market got in its head. I'm not sure how it got to this conclusion, but that the Fed would cut rates six and maybe seven times this year. In December's FOMC meeting, uh, the the, uh, median forecast from Fed officials was for three cuts. So the market, and I think we see we saw this happen several times last year, where the market runs well ahead of the Federal Reserve, uh, 
and then later converges with the Fed. You know, a lot of times when I read the foreign press, they're critical of the Federal Reserve because they think it's a slave to the markets. But instead, last year and this year, we've seen the markets converge with the Fed. So that market, the Fed funds futures are no longer looking for six or maybe seven rate cuts this year, but instead have priced in now three and about a one in three chance of a fourth hike. So this convergence with the Fed, I think, is an important development. And I kind of thought that with the with the market converging to the Fed, that should help cap, especially short-term U.S. interest rates. And I thought that would also cap the dollar. But the dollar has been fairly strong still. So, Mark, why do you think the dollar is remaining so strong? We entered this year with so many people thinking the dollar would go lower, but U.S. data has been better. That could be supporting it. Less rate cut odds, that could also be supporting it. What, in your mind, is keeping the dollar elevated? Yeah, partly I'm a bit puzzled. Uh, But but I want to say that the story is clear, though, that it still seems quite clear that the U.S. economy is sort of the driest towel on the rack. The U.S. economy may be slowing, but Europe is stagnant or worse. The Japanese economy contracted uh, last two quarters of 2023, and it's off to a very weak start here in 2024. And we all know of China's problems. So it still seems to me that a couple of things. One, you still are paid because of interest rate differentials. Short-term traders, especially momentum traders, still paid to be long the U.S. dollar. Secondly, the news from Europe and Japan is poor at best. And thirdly, what I point out is, you know, I often think about the policy mix, monetary policy and fiscal policy. In the U.S., we still have a fairly constructive policy mix. And the policy mix is a large budget deficit that's stimulative spending. And that budget deficit is roughly twice the size of the eurozones. We're looking at like something like 6% this year. And we've got tight monetary policy. And that policy mix, tight monetary, loose fiscal, tends to be very supportive of a currency. And that's exactly what the U.S. has. Quick comment then, Mark. We talk so much about rate increases, rate cuts. But what about the Fed's balance sheet? They continue to unwind the balance sheet. Now, it did explode over COVID, but it's on a different trajectory, heading lower. I think we're all waiting to hear when that's going to stop. But what are your expectations around this balance sheet unwind? Yeah, I think that the balance sheet unwind is going to continue. But, you know, unlike uh, what happened in the last attempt at QT, reserves at the banks haven't really fallen, partly because the the money markets, uh, sort of money market funds, have shifted out of the reverse uh, repo agreement with the Fed, where they would park capital and buying T-bills instead. And so reserves haven't really fallen as far, which means the QT is not as tight. It's not tightening conditions as much as it had in the past. I suspect, though, that the, the Federal Reserve will want to taper uh, before they stop. And I, I imagine that they'll do this. Uh, I think that we can get an announcement as early as March for the broad game plan. But I, I would look for them to taper before stopping. Uh, maybe uh, in Q3 to stop. And that's around when people expect the first rate cut as well. What's interesting is other countries are sort of having to wrestle with the same issue. And 
What's notable is that the one of the deputy governors of the Bank of England this past week suggested that they might unwind their full balance sheet. They get rid of all the assets that they bought during uh, COVID and what they had before to help clean clear the deck to allow them to build again if if a situation requires. So I think we'll see us. Central banks should have experimented a little bit, but I think that generally speaking, uh, both the U.S. and the ECB uh, reduced their balance sheets only up to a point. You know, that I want to say that during the Great Depression, countries discovered the, the central government's balance sheet. Right? We now run, uh, not just the U.S., but most countries run almost a permanent budget deficit. That is the government's balance sheet being brought into play to help support aggregate demand. I think during the great financial crisis and subsequently, the central bank's balance sheets have been brought into play. And I, can't, I, I, I think that the way power works is that it stays in play. That once once we've discovered these balance sheets, it's hard to really get rid of them. Uh, the system sort of sort of grows around it, if you will. Interesting. So, so Mark, if we take a step back, though, looking at the market in terms of the system, seems like most things are moving higher right now, I guess, outside of bonds, because we do have these generally higher rates, but markets continue to push to all time highs, or at least close to all time highs, even Bitcoin is running now, the market, at least right now, which is probably final last words is, it seems pretty stable and seems quite bullish. Yeah, you know, at the fourth quarter of last year, stocks rallied because people said the Fed would cut interest rates or central banks generally would cut interest rates this year. Now that the the market has pushed back the first cuts and reduced the amount of cuts this year, stock markets rallied. Why? People say, well, good growth potential. And remember, like you say, it's not just the U.S. stock market or, say, crypto. We're seeing that the Japanese stock market uh, reach record highs, which we haven't seen since the late 80s. Uh, the European stock 600 is also uh, at record highs. So this is across the board, a uh, global move. And what's interesting, too, is that this past month, emerging market stocks, so the MSCI, Emerging Market Equity Index, has risen by more than the, so they call it the G10 stock market. Uh, the JP Morgan has a, uh, I'm sorry, Morgan Stanley has a uh, uh, world index of developed economies that rose about 3.6% in February, while the MSCI Emerging Market Index rose by about 4.4%. So I think to your point, this is people buying risk assets, emerging markets, as well as, like you say, crypto uh, equities, uh, broadly speaking. Well, then, Mark, let's look ahead to next week. Just a quick comment on Bank of Canada meeting and an ECB meeting. Neither are really expected to do anything like cut rates or really adjust too much policy, but anything that you're looking at that could be a surprise. No, I think that the Bank of Canada is not going to do anything. Uh, I think it's still a couple of months early for the Bank of Canada. The market looks like it's, it's leaning towards a, a June cut. But today's, excuse me, the uh, the the, uh, the GDP data we saw earlier this week uh, was a bit disappointing for the month of December, even though the Q4 GDP came out in line with expectations of about 1%. Notably, the Q3 GDP contraction uh, was halved to about half of a percent decline. So I think Bank of Canada still want, still waiting a little bit more for the 
underlying core measures of inflation to put to uh, moderate more ecb of course larger central bank more interesting uh, there they're not going to do anything either but we could see uh, the, the the ecb staff cut the growth forecast and the inflation forecast and this will help set the, the table if you will for a rate cut at possibly uh, before the middle of the year now, the other data point for next week is jobs data out of the U.S. and out of Canada. U.S. is obviously more closely followed. What are you looking for? Yeah, so if the U.S. economy is going to slow down like many of us think, we need to see it in the labor market. And we did see that, you know, such a large rise uh, last month uh, when we got the uh, the January jobs data. Remember, we grew 353,000 jobs, which was well above what anybody had expected. Uh, the market's looking at a lower number this time, about half of that. Uh, but I would point out that at least in the surveys that uh, I track on Bloomberg, uh, the median forecast has slowly crept up uh, in the last, I'd say, in the last week or so. We're at about 188,000 now in the median of the survey, and I'd say a week ago is closer to 150. So we're going to get the jobs data next week, but some of the underlying details also, hourly earnings unlikely to change very much, but we could see uh, a big jump in the average uh, hours worked. And that is because, remember, the January number was depressed by some poor weather, and we'd like to see a payback for that. So that's, that's also favorable for output for GDP. Uh, Canada's, Canada's jobs number tends not to be, like you say, not to be as closely tracked. And it comes out at the same time as the U.S. jobs data. So it's hard to, uh, to really like separate the effect. But, you know, Canada's jobs, uh, labor market has slowed. Uh, but we're looking at, and last month in January, they lost 11,000 full-time jobs. Uh, this time, the market's looking for a net gain of about 27,000 jobs. Uh, but still, the labor market's slowing, and this is why uh, Bank of Canada is under increasing pressure, I think, to cut interest rates. All right, Mark. Thank you very much for your time. Again, Mark Chandler, you can follow him on his website, Mark2Market, which I will link below. And we will chat again next week, Mark, to recap some of the central bank meetings, jobs data, and what could be coming in the following week. Thanks for your time today, Mark. Thanks. Good luck to everybody.